0: Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Psalm
1: 96. I'll be starting in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Great is the work of the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. and Bring offering and come into his court. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall never be moved. The world is established, I'm sorry. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the people in his favor. I'm gonna invite my hot husband, our lead pastor Billy Glossin, up. I'll pray for him. And we'll get rolling. Gracious King, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your spirit that is in this place, Lord, I ask that you would focus Billy's mind, his words, his thoughts, his heart, on you alone. Lord, would you be glorified? Would you soften our hearts and open our ears to hear, receive, receive your comfort, receive your conviction? Father, help us to hear from you right now and help us to love you more. In your name I pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Well, you may be seated.
0: So I, um, I was convicted this week. Um, Hannah and I finished our Christmas shopping pretty quick. Uh, we did it for Samuel on Black Friday. Um, and so we, we got that done. So one thing checked off the Christmas to-do list. And then we are planning a trip to Pigeon Forge to look at Christmas lights. And uh, yeah, I know some people are like, it's hokey. I'm like, we have a toddler Hokie is his world, like he loves it, so we're excited about that, we're planning to go look at Christmas lights and enjoy some time together, and all that to say, it's not that I've not thought about Christmas, it's not that I've not thought about Advent, it's just that I've been thinking of it very lackadaisically. Um, I had a difficult time writing this sermon, or, or I should say I had a difficult time starting this sermon this week, it was a full week. A lot of meetings, a lot of things going on, and again, as Hannah just said, we have a move on the horizon, Um, so there's things to figure out, some logistical things to take care of, and so it's been full days, full evenings, and I just wasn't getting time to slow down and sit with the text. So when I finally did, I was kind of sad. because we're done with Philippians. So if you've been here over the last several weeks, we've been uh, going through the book of Philippians, which is personally one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I love it. It's rich. It's, it's dripping with gospel. And so I sat down, and I wasn't really feeling an Advent sermon. Let me just be honest. I think a lot of us have heard Christmas sermons ad nauseum, right? If I popped open Luke 2, I think all of you'd be like, all right, Charlie Brown, let's go. You know, like we, we get it, right? We've heard it over and over and over again. So I'm sitting there, and I'm staring at a blank page, and that's when I was interrupted. Um, I had a meeting where I sat with someone who is really hurting. And in that moment, the Spirit of God stirred me to remind them that their biggest need was not in solving the problem, at least not a temporary solution to a current issue, but what they needed, what I need, what you need, is a Savior. I sat down after they left and I began to read the text. I fired up Spotify and I decided I'm going to listen through our set list that we're doing this morning. Michael had already, we had talked and he had already picked the songs. And I started with a new song that we're going to sing after the sermon. I mean, Psalm 96 says sing a new song, so of course we've got to do a new one. And all at once, it was like an explosion happened in my heart. I realized how deeply. I need a Savior. And I realized that the first Christmas started with a worship service. See, the hosts of heaven filled the sky declaring glory to God in the highest. And I sat at my desk, and I'm grateful that I had the door shut because I was bawling my eyes out. Right? Maybe... Maybe your big fight this year is not that you don't feel Christmassy enough. Right? Maybe you think, Billy, that's great that you had this moment this week, but, but I'm so stressed about work. Like, the bills are piling up. It's the end of the semester. Do you, do you know how crazy kids are right now? I'm so full. I'm so full. My prayer this morning is that the Spirit stirs you the same way to see that your biggest need is simply this. You need a Savior you need a savior. Here's the big idea this morning. Our greatest need is salvation. So let us join with all creation in praising God for his huge salvation. This Advent, we're doing a short sermon series called Beautiful Savior, King of Creation. And what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little atypical, something maybe a little different. We're going to be walking through creation psalms. And the reason we're doing that is we want to take a cosmic, a from-the-air view of the Christmas story. And today we start with Psalm 96, which praises God for his salvation. And it starts, it starts with proclaiming God's salvation to the world. So first, proclaiming God's salvation to the world. Look at verse One with me. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glories among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Now, the psalmist doesn't pull any punches, right? He gets right to the point. He says, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day day. What this is, is it's worship that turns into witness. And what this means is that when when you and I, when we dwell on God, right, when we we pause for a moment, we think about who he is, we think about Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary, you cannot help but sing and praise because of what God has done for you. I think of Acts chapter 4. We see the apostles arrested, they're told, do not speak about Jesus anymore, and he says, they say this in response, for we cannot speak, but speak of what we have seen and heard. It means you can't stop talking about this, right? I mean, we know this. We've seen it before, right? When App State, you know, surprises and upsets someone, it's all people are talking about all the time. You get overwhelmed with it. You're excited about it. This is what we do when we praise God. It's a realization that results in praise and in the opening verse the the new song it's a response to salvation when we receive God's grace we shout for joy and immediately our worship turns to witness an illustration of this comes to mind it's the ministry of Peter Cartwright so I've spent some time this last week just a confession you guys I was just like I got to get off all the social media things, I found myself just constantly, I, I preached on contentment last week and realized how discontent I am when I'm on those things. And so stepping away from it, I've tried to fill those spaces when I would endlessly scroll with reading. And I read this story about Peter Cartwright. He's a 19th century circuit riding evangelist, right? Makes you like, that's kind of that's awesome, right? I want to ride a horse and like preach to people and run around. That sounds awesome. He goes and he's preaching at this conference And it's put on by this really popular seminary student. And Cartwright gives the invitation to come to know who Jesus is. And this huge man stands up with these monstrous muscular arms. And he comes forward bawling. And he throws himself down and just starts wailing in prayer. And he's a sinner and he's telling God so loudly. Now at this point, the seminary student is like, this is super weird. This is very uncomfortable rushes over and says, compose yourself, brother, compose yourself. But Cartwright goes and gently pushes the seminary student aside, slaps this repentant man on the back and said, pray on, brother, because there's no composure in hell where you're going. Seek salvation. I read that and I was like, whoo, ah, stirs you, doesn't it? This man starts bawling, breaks through to God, realizes who Jesus is, what he's done for him, leaps to his feet, and with a howl of delight, lifts up the seminary student, spinning him around. He goes around dancing and praising God at the top of his voice. Why? Because his worship became his witness, because Jesus actually meant something to him. It wasn't just something he did on a Sunday because that's what you should do, the niceties. It's because Christ changed him. Have you experienced the grace of God? Have you experienced the grace of God? Have you worshiped with your life in such a way that it proclaims to those watching the glory of God? I think of a moment when I went to a a Christian music festival. I saw a band that I'm pretty sure most of you would hate. So um, (laughs) this band is is loud. They yell and all that kind of stuff. Um, But there's something about this moment that happened. Their their vocalist, the guy doing all the singing and yelling, um, had lived an incredibly difficult life. Very far, very far from the church, from the kingdom of God, just covered in tattoos, broken. I've never seen anyone who has this kind of presence that can command a room. So, for example, I had seen this band before at a dingy dive bar, and this entire room of all these gruff, broken kids are silent when he talks. Something about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God causes people to pay attention. He shares his story, how his life had been one of betraying others and in abandoning the ones that he loved, how it almost ended in him taking his own life, and then he met Jesus. And this guy can't help but keep smiling and worshiping. And he ends up at this festival that I'm at with my brother, leading us in a 20-minute version of Oh, Praise Him. Right? So the, the David Crowder version and all. <laughs> it felt like two minutes, and it was 20. I was covered in sweat, and I know that that sounds crazy. Singing with a bunch of sweaty people, singing, Oh, praise him, he is holy at the top of your lungs. It may not sound like much to you, but when you realize the reality, like let me just ask this question, friend, what do you deserve? You standing before a holy, infinite, matchless God, what do you deserve? For many of us, we've been scrolling, we've been putting together wish lists, We've been building out what Christmas should look like. Everything in our society says, we deserve the best. I literally got a box of donuts with my son this week, and it said, you deserve a donut. And I was like, I do deserve a donut, right? <laughs> Whatever we want, we get it when we want it. But friend, in the stillness, in that moment of pause, when you reflect over your life, You and I both know better. We know the things that we've done, the things that we've thought. We know what Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me ask again, what do you deserve?
2: Frankly, death And hell but the free gift of God has been given you when we realize
0: that when we understand we don't get what we are owed we get someone else's righteousness someone else's credit we should sing and dance and join in declaring that truth everywhere we should Christmas should cause our hearts to overflow as we celebrate and remember the one who has come into the world to make all things new. It should overflow. The verb rendered here, proclaim the good news, it means to bear good tidings, to herald, to preach. That we hear this message of God's gladness centering on his salvation and we realize we got to tell somebody. I've got to share this good news. I've got to tell somebody about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he has changed my life, turned it upside down. It's not just a get out of jail free card for someday. It's eternal life that starts right here, right now. It gives my life purpose. It changes the way I parent. It changes the way I react to my spouse. It changes the way I work. It's everything to me. For this reverberates through the Psalms. This joyous, proclamation that God is a God who saves. And it works its way all the way to a group of shepherds witnessing the angels of heaven in the sky singing a new song. It says this in Luke chapter 2, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. The Lord. This year, before you get caught in the frenzy, ask the question Am I, by my life, by my words, by my action, proclaiming the salvation of Jesus? Am I? Am I broadcasting to a world that there is hope, that there is salvation, that it isn't fleeting, it isn't one day of gratification and unwrapped gifts and half met expectations. It's in an eternity of unending joy. Coram Deo, declare his praises. That's where this psalm starts, that we proclaim salvation, and naturally, it takes a second to this. Second, abandon your idols and turn to the Lord. Abandon your idols and turn to the Lord. Look at verse four. Verse four. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are worthless idols but the lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his sanctuary ascribe to the lord O family of the peoples ascribe to the lord glory and strength ascribe to the lord the glory do his name bring an offering and come into his courts worship the lord in the splendor of holiness tremble before him all the earth we're called to abandon our idols now when we read this we might understand that the the context right david is celebrating a victory god has freed israel from the philistines and they are rejoicing in this salvation you may be thinking i don't bend a knee to a little statue it's not me i don't do that i don't worship a false god of the ocean but if you take a sober assessment of your life you will see that you too struggle with idolatry I think Tim Keller says it masterfully. This is what he says. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. That quote comes from a stellar book called Counterfeit Gods, which, man, if I had the time, I'd just read it to you. It's so good. A lot of you know that I am a fan of the Cleveland Browns. Yes, it's a sad tragedy. Um, About a year ago, I wanted to get a jersey. Now, here's the problem. I had to be careful because my jersey collection is basically a collection of failure. Okay? It is. So so from all the way from Couch to, to, to Gordon to... Johnny Manziel, that's right, I have that. Um, I kept just investing in disappointment, all right? That's what I did. So after a playoff berth, I decided, okay, let's do it. I'm gonna get a jersey, but this time I'm gonna save money. So I got a counterfeit Baker Mayfield jersey, which is about as good as a real one, okay? Clearly, not my brightest moment, okay? For a lot of reasons, right? Some of you guys know Baker was traded to the Panthers where he's been abysmal. Um, And so now I have this cheapo counterfeit disappointment hanging in my closet next to the others. I don't know if you've bought a cheap fake before, right? Whether it's online or it was in a city you thought that Rolex looked really good. Fake watches, fake jerseys, they're relatively harmless, but the counterfeits of our age, they're not just limited to material goods. There are countless cultural counterfeits that promise peace that promise meaning, that promise contentment. They tell us, you can be amazing. Your life will finally have real meaning. True fulfillment, it's found right here. And so convinced that that we've got it. We found the fast track to the good life. Like the ancient Israelites, we spend our money for that which is not bread and our labor for that which does not satisfy. We set up idols in our hearts. We expect these things to deliver that which only comes from the giver of life, the God who made us and saves us. See, idolatry, friends, is expecting a counterfeit to deliver what can only be wrought by the real thing. Again, Tim Keller writes in Counterfeit Gods that idolatry occurs when we think, if I have that, Then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Michael said this in a sermon a few weeks ago. Whatever that hell experience is, right? If I can get out of my broke-down, awful-car hell and get into new-car heaven, that's a pretty good indicator of what our idols are. Friends, we live in a time and a place that has produced specific idols, which are uniquely destructive. We are inundated with images of illustrious life that promotes significance but proves counterfeit when we return home and try it on. Like the fake jersey in my closet, these idols unravel at the seams. Counterfeits are peddled to us on every corner. It's so easy to purchase the cheap fake hoping to satisfy our longings. But it will not go well for us if we don't align ourselves with what is real what is actually good, what is actually beautiful and true. Here's the best news for those of us who have ever purchased a fake. The heart of our Father in heaven is merciful and abounding in grace. No matter which counterfeits we have pursued, no matter which idols we have adored, our Father stands ready to offer to us everlasting life, deep peace, even before we realize that we bought a lie, even as we labor for that which does not satisfy, our God says in Isaiah 55 listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food, incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. We were made, we were made for the very real. The very true and the very good feast of the Father. So come. As tempting as the idols of our age are, they all fall short. They don't satisfy. Over and over, we hear stories of this. They will not satisfy. They're knockoffs, and they care nothing for your soul or mine. But the Father awaits, and His feast will surely satisfied. Verses 7 through 9, they call us to ascribe to the Lord. What that means is to credit to God, to offer him worship and glory. It's the logical response from those who have heard what God has done. It's a call to see that there is one who is at work in us, in our world, that one day we will sit at the feast of the one who has redeemed the world all of all of this leads us to this dramatic conclusion third worship the king of creation worship the king of creation verse 10 say among the nations the lord reigns yes the world is established it shall never be moved He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sink for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard wrote that God is the most joyous being in the universe. He says that that we pay money, right, to get a tank with a few tropical fish, right? And we enjoy looking at their beauty as they swim around. But God has oceans and seas of fish, which he constantly enjoys. We might enjoy a song or some music, but he simply experiences all that is good and beautiful and right. This is what he says, Dallas Willard. All of the good and beautiful things, all of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. Creation praises God by being and doing what he created it to be and do. The sound of a three-year-old laughing when his grandpa chases him down the hall. The, The young calf in the barnyard that's jumping and mooing in springtime. The birds singing early in the morning hours outside an open bedroom window. The rustling of the leaves of corn in a field ripe for the harvest. The bubbling water running down a mountainside after a summer rain. The heart beating faster with excitement as a dog fetches a stick in the park. All of these sights, all of these sounds are music to our God's ears. They are beautiful in his eyes. He is the most joyous being in the universe. Except these sights and sounds are too often silenced and turned into something ugly. All of us feel the effects of the fall. I was driving down the road thinking of this psalm, praying over the text, and I saw two deer that had been hit by cars. Their bodies broken and bloated. Blood seeped out onto the road. I mean, pollution has dirtied the skies. It's contaminated the water. There are whole species of animals that are extinct. No more to be seen or heard in their created wonder. So many animals cower in fear. They, they try to make no sound at all. They don't want to be seen or heard or they'll be attacked and eaten. Fires rage through drought-stricken forests. Once majestic trees rage red in flames. They turn black and die. Hurricanes, tornadoes destroy wildlife and crops just as much as they destroy homes and cars. The world is off, right? Creation itself knows it. Even in our comforts, even as we try to drown it out and not listen, not look, not see, creation loudly tells us something is wrong and it needs to be made right. I remember the morning that Hannah woke me up with tears because her beloved cat Watson couldn't use his back legs. He had had a stroke. <sighs> it's a cat. And our hearts ached because we knew this isn't right. We had to say goodbye to this wonderful little creature. In our lives, friends, tears can run down our cheeks when the visit to the doctor brings the news that we don't want to hear. Romans 8 puts all of this ugliness and silencing of God's creation into a few words. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility. We know that the whole creation has been been groaning, right? As in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirits grown inwardly. I'll get to that in a second. How can Psalm 96 call us to praise the Lord when so much ugliness, so much groaning, there's so much silencing of his creation because of God's salvation? We can praise, we can sing. Because not only is God so big, not only is his praise so big, but so is his salvation. Right? It says, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Here's the problem. Many of us have taken God's huge salvation, and we've made it really small. It's a part of our life. It's something we think about
2: from time to time. But it's just that.
0: God's salvation, friends, it's not just about ending up in heaven. It's not just about seeing loved ones again. It's not just about being away from pain. Listen, all those wonderful blessings, yes, they're a part of God's salvation, but his salvation is so much bigger than that. Again, Romans 8, this creation hopes for the day it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. This is that verse, Romans 8, verse 23. And not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's the redemption that all of creation is longing for. And that redemption of all creation began when songs
2: were sung by stones. Yes, stones. Go back with me for a moment
0: to the joyous day for Jesus and his disciples. It's a week before Jesus is going to be hung on the cross. I love how one writer pictured the scene through the eyes of the disciple John. He says, we were approaching Jerusalem, and Jesus told two of us, hey, go ahead into a small village. It's just ahead. You're going to find a small donkey there, one that's never been ridden before. He said, this donkey's going to be tied up, and as you enter the village, tell them that... The master needs it and so we did we go and the donkeys owner look at us and as soon as we say this they untie the little animal and they let us go we got back we put our cloaks on it and jesus sat on its back we started to throw our coats on the road And people found palm branches and they they started to sing praises to Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It became a victory parade. There were shouts and cheers, praise and glory all for Jesus. Hundreds of people leading him into Jerusalem. But not everyone was pleased. The Pharisees, of course, did not like Jesus. I could still see them coming up. Red in the face, demanding that he stop the whole procession. And then Jesus answered, I tell you, if they keep quiet,
2: the stones will cry out. And it sounded strange at the time. What are you talking about, Jesus, the stones? Not quite a week later, the Pharisees got their wish. They silenced Jesus. No more words
0: came out of his mouth. No more words from his mouth when he died on the cross. And his body was set in a tomb. They chased his followers away. We we all hid. We were quiet. We were alone in an upper room, terrified for our lives.
2: But the praises had stopped. The earth was silent. But then the stones cried out. Yes, the stones. Can you hear the sound they made? Stone?
0: Rubbing against stone? The stone in front of the tomb, rolling back, rubbing against the stone of the wall. The grinding sound is just what noise a stone is going to make when a tomb is empty. What gives some of the first sounds of praise on Easter morning? The stones do as Jesus rises from the dead and the hope of redemption is born. Now we return to today. You see, the redemption of all creation begins with what? It begins with Jesus. What happened to his body, now alive and glorified, is the hope of of not just you and me, not just all believers, but all of creation, everywhere, is longing for this. All the earth and sea and heavens, all the trees and mountains and fields look forward to the salvation that Jesus is going to bring when he comes back. All of creation waits in eager anticipation for the day when Jesus will return and the ugliness, the groaning, the silence will be replaced with the most joyous chorus of praise we have ever heard. See, Christmas, Advent, is a season of waiting. And it feels weird. It feels like we're playing make-believe because we know Jesus has already come. But here's the thing, we're not playing make-believe because we're waiting for him to come back again. It's an incredible time to wait with longing. I had a really dear friend who is just one of the biggest nerds I've ever met. Brilliant guy. Um, He is a historian and is a professor. And he recently moved to Japan to be a missionary. And he loves Christmas so much. And he came, we were talking one day about Christmas. And he's like, I said, what's your favorite Christmas song? And he said, oh, it's easy. Handel's Messiah. And I was like, of course it is, right? Of course that's your favorite. And uh, I asked him why. And he said, well, have have you ever listened to it? So, well, yeah, of course. Who hasn't heard the Hallelujah chorus? And he said, Well, really, read it. Listen to these words Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Now imagine, the birds are singing along with the sopranos. The cows are mooing the bass line. Elephants trumpet out in joyous adoration. The fields are waving in harmony to the music. The mountains have never stood more more. more majestic. There's deer that are running and leaping without fear. There's a cat purring so loudly as a young girl holds it, and the Lord smiles. And the rocks, like cymbals, repeat the sounding joy, because the resurrected Savior has returned as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he shall reign now and forever and forever. Now y'all, that's a ginormous salvation. That's our God who is bigger than we can imagine. That's the sound of praise that we look forward to, but it's also the sound of praise that we are already singing. Whether we're gathered here as a church, of course, or if it's a Thursday afternoon or Tuesday morning, we join in creation, in being and doing what He created and redeemed us to be and do. Deo this morning, let me
2: ask. What do you deserve? What have you been given? Set your mind on Jesus. Let
0: us worship him. I'm going to close this morning with some application questions we're going to throw on the screen. And these are the things I want us to think about as we enter into Advent. First, do I see my need for a Savior? Do I see my need for a Savior? How can I make the salvation of God big in my life? Second, where am I prone to seek the comfort of idols over and above seeking Jesus? Where am I prone to seek the comfort of idols over and above seeking Jesus? Third, this Christmas, how will I make time to be intentional about setting my focus on the longing of creation for the return of Jesus? This Christmas, how will I make time to be intentional about setting my focus on the longing of creation for the return of Jesus? And finally, how can I posture my heart to worship? How can I posture my heart to worship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have given us so huge a salvation. So great, Lord, is your name. We have resurrection hope. We have joy. We have life and life eternal, abundant life, Lord, given to us because of Christ. Jesus, you offer to us hope beyond hope and joy beyond joy. And we pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, compel us to obedience, to trust in and rely upon you. Lord, would we look unto you? Would we see the reality that our greatest need is that we need a Savior? Would you arrest our hearts, Lord, when we are staring at the pile of to-dos, the bills, the kids' grades, whatever it may be that causes anxiety, and would we see in that moment that what we need is you? Would we lay those cares at your feet? And would we this year, Lord, see how huge of a salvation we have been given? pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, QuorumDeoNC.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.